Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. One of Chicago's most iconic radio hosts was shown the door. Don't you laugh. You be quiet now. Was shown the door in September after a 40-year radio career, in part what he said after publicly radio company stations and especially hosts have to stop peddling lies, fables, conspiracies, and corrosive content under the guise of it's just business. Well, it was uh, too much of that sort of business for Big John Howell, who uh, was fired in September, but in his bio that he sent me said he's currently heard daily by his three dogs who agree with everything he says. And that's not a bad audience, Mr. Howell. That is not a bad audience. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure. This is the first time back since uh, about two and a half months, but it's nice to talk to you again. It's been years since I've talked to you. This is back when you were on TV and I was on music radio, and it's been (laughs) decades since I was on 820 AM. I think the last time was with uh, Mike North and Dan Jiggetts. Wow. Yes. Um, I, can't, I can't even remember back that far, Mr. Howell. Those are just very sort of soft-lit, gauzy memories that, yeah, tell me <laughs> that you're about triggering it. right now. Tell me about it. Um, so it, it, this really, it really blew my mind. If I thought there was anybody in radio who was safe, I, I thought it was you. I just... And I know that I was not alone in uh, not just the listening circles, but in media circles of of finding this just jaw-droppingly shocking. Even if you were a bad radio host, which you weren't, you were local. And, you know, but local doesn't seem to bring a lot to the table anymore with these big mega companies, does it? Well, I think it really had to do with, number one, finances. They are very clear about that. As I wrote in one of the pieces that was published, you know, they were very nice about it. The local management and the program director, and I loved my colleagues there, and I thought it was a terrific, uh, a terrific studio, a great facility. But, you know, it was basically, look, I wasn't cheap, and I'd been working there for eight or nine years. When I was hired by Double Dallas and Cumulus, they were going in a distinctly different direction. The then president of the company hired me, and his intention he told me straight out was to essentially go after WGN and be an iconic Chicago radio station. But both these guys, he and his brother, they ran the company at that time. They were bounced in a hostile takeover for lack of a better term shortly after I started there. And then they decided to double down on a conservative sort of format, which makes a lot of sense monetarily. And it made sense back in September to let me go, even though they basically had to pay me, through the end of my deal, uh, because I cost them money where my replacements don't cost them any money. And you know how that works, but mm-hmm. syndicated radio is trade radio. It's a basically barter system. So I, I totally understand why. And, you know, you prepare a daily show, and I did for 40 years, the last 17 of which were talk radio, which is particularly uh, laborious. And I've not missed these sort of Damocles hanging over my head every day to prepare a three, four, five-hour live show. I've enjoyed my time off. It's it's been nice to recharge after literally 40 years from 83 to 2023 
I didn't have a break. This is my first break in 40 years. So I don't really, I don't, there's not a lot of bitterness here, Joan. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. I'm also glad that they are still paying you, but I still (laughs) think it is a huge loss for the Chicago area. I always think that, you know, I, I know that this isn't the case in every town in America, but Chicago, we like our hometown folks. You know, we're, yeah. you know, if we, if we'll listen to somebody who's syndicated, I suppose, but, you know, this is the, this is the, this is the town that keeps bringing the oldies back. I mean, we got Bob Surratt back. You know, we got John Records Landecker back. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if soon we have Stephen Gary back or, you know, Jonathan Brandmeier. We like local folks. And it seems to me that I know that maybe it was a bottom line decision, but long term for their business, it would seem to me to be a short sighted a decision on their part, but it wasn't just the money. You also felt that um, you were no longer far right enough for the no, no. N- w- the direction they wanted to take the station. Talk no. to me about what they yes, said to you about that. Well, they just said, "Look, to be clear, LS or IND or any station, nobody's ever told me what to say." So I want to make clear: I, I said what I believed in. Uh, my opinion lies where it falls. I reserve the right to change my mind on a lot of subjects, which I have over the years. But that being said, it's really clear that I was an outlier at Double the Us. You know, Steve Cochran is doing a morning show. He does a nice local show. I don't mean that uh, I'm not diminishing him. He does a great show, but uh, it's local based. But between 9 a.m. and 3 o'clock, they were syndicated hosts, all of which are kind of cut from the same cloth. And then following me, similarly, uh, two or three hosts all the way around until the next morning. All right. That being said, anybody that listened to me regularly for any sort of time realized that I was quite an outlier. A lot of the stuff I did was very tongue in cheek. I, I thought that January 6th is a momentous moment in American history. I think it's a criminal story that continues. I think it's a huge political story that continues and I refuse to talk about Hunter's laptop because I think that's a distraction. I just don't care. And if I didn't care about something, I didn't put it on my program. Much to the chagrin of program directors, both locally and nationally, and listeners who expected the same sort of product, hour in, hour out, hour in, hour out. They wanted the same sort of hamburger or record played over and over and over. And I didn't fit that. It was clear for several years that I didn't fit there, and certainly since January 6th, I didn't fit there. But I also have a local show at both ends of the day, mornings and afternoons. But I think that uh, the economic considerations and maybe pressure from, I don't know, I don't know this, but uh, maybe pressure from the company decided it wasn't enough and we're going to uh, double down on the format and uh, be that as it may. Be that as it may, that's how it's going to continue for the foreseeable future. I sometimes get um, feedback, not so much recently, I think I've, I've worn them all out, but I used to get sometimes feedback from the audience about, I remember one time somebody texted me, because, um, you know, we advertise that we're, you know, progressive talk, and somebody said to me, you're not progressive, you're a liberal. 
And I thought to myself, oh, and I thought to myself, well, I can live with that, you know, um, when and I assumed what they meant was that I wasn't maybe far enough over to the left, that I was getting a little too close to the middle. And, you know, so I, I understand that that kind of thinking. And there have been times when I've had um very cons- conservative Democrats like uh, Paul Vallis on. And sometimes people are like, why do you have him on? And right. I've told them, I said, if all you want is an echo chamber, my show is not the show for you. That is not what I want to do. That's not who I want to be. And we all talk about, oh, the country's so divided. How do we bring the conversation back? And yet when I try to do that, you're like, I don't want to hear this. You know, that's exactly somebody who is more conservative than me and sometimes more liberal than me. That's ex- those are exactly the conversations I want to have. Well, I, I agree with that. And I would catch LS for having uh, columns like Neil Steinberg on or, you know, others from Chicago and uh, national guys as well. Um, but I thought it was important. If, if a columnist interests me, if a story interests me, then I thought my listeners would be interested as well. And uh, for the most part, I think I was uh, pretty much on. And I tried to be balanced a lot of times. If I had Neil on, I tried to have somebody from uh, the right on, certainly later in the hour, what have you. My show wasn't a caller-driven show. My show was a contributor-driven show because I lost interest in the same callers over and over and over <laughs> and over and and you know that everybody knows that when I wrote the column about the six year old that was uh, murdered, I'm sorry, allegedly murdered uh, here in Chicago. And well, they were murdered. To, the know, man allegedly. Right. The, the, we won't name the alleged yes. killer, but he was definitely murdered. Okay, good point. Absolutely, clarification accepted. So I wrote that column in Sun Times, saying if true, if he was prompted by a radio talk show host then that radio talk show host and or station and or company, they bear a burden in this. You can't just say, oh, it's all business. We're joking. We didn't think they'd take us seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have to worry about the 99% of your listeners who are well-educated, reasoned. They are great consumers, voracious readers, great consumers of news and talk, and they're not going to be prompted to violent outbursts. But you do have to be concerned about the 1% who are. And every time I would talk about one of these yahoos from January 6th, and I used to do a thing every day called um, Wheels of Justice. So just what's the latest in this guy from Chicago or Illinois, his court case after he was part of January 6th. And people used to be outraged about that. Why don't you talk about Hunter Biden's laptop? I'll stop it. And, uh, but I'd always get the call saying, what about, what about, what about, what about... Mm-hmm. The man who shot at the Republicans years ago while they were, they were at baseball practice. He was a downstate Illinoisan who was uh, apparently a Bernie Sanders uh, supporter, right? So, okay, there's crazies both far right and far left. But if you trigger them, if you break the stupid, you own the stupid, period. It can't just be, oh, I, I just said it on the radio. I didn't think anybody would take me seriously. It's all satire. Well, mm-hmm. it isn't, but it's not, right? Yep. Well, and we've seen that. I remember back when Alex Jones was uh, in court fighting for custody of his kids, and uh, he and his lawyer, when his wife 
uh, ex-wife pointed out some of the insane things that he said during his show. He and his lawyer said in open court, Your Honor, th- I am, um, I'm, it's theater. I, I do theater. It is a performance. It's not real. Everybody knows it's not real. Um, and I am just, um, I'm just doing political theater to entertain people. And as much as saying, look, I, it's lies. I know it's lies, but those lies get me an audience. They make me money. And, uh, but I don't want any, any responsibility. I don't want to lose my kids because you think I actually believe the crap I talk about. I mean, come on, judge. You'd have to be stupid to believe the crap I talk about. And I'm thinking to myself, is nobody, is anybody paying attention to this? Is anybody who listens to Alex Jones? Um, looking at what he's saying at trial, and we see this time and, and time again when, when somebody's feet are held to the fire. Well, even in the Dominion, um, suit, when it came out in texts and emails yeah. that yeah. the hosts don't believe what they're saying, and their defense was, well, in the evening, they're not news shows, they're entertainment shows, they're opinion shows. And so the, the, the standard of, of what constitutes a lie is so very low, don't you know, John? Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's all, I believe this and you should be mad about this until somebody holds my feet to the fire and then it's like, oh, you stupid person, you believed that? Come on. No, we've had satire around since the beginning of the Republic, so I understand that. And newspapers used to be the talk radio today. You'd have uh, uh, Democrat newspapers and Republican newspapers, Whig newspapers, uh, know-nothing newspapers. So it's a long history of this in America. The problem is now, uh, I think we're amped up to a level now where the crazies can find each other, thanks to Al Gore's Internet, thanks. So the crazies <laughs> can all find each other, right? And they can, uh, they can affect change. Where we, I grew up in a very, very conservative town in Michigan, um, Holland, Michigan. So, you know, the Romneys, the Millicans, uh, the Vosses, uh, the Princes, um, you know, a very conservative Republican town. Uh, uh, who, our former Secretary of Defense uh, uh, during Bush's administration. Was that Rumsfeld? Uh, yeah, Rumsfeld. He had, a, he had a summer home there, too. And my dad was a local pharmacist, so I knew all these guys. But... We always knew that there were crazy John Birchers, and everybody would just kind of raise their eyebrows and say, yeah, yeah, you don't pay much attention to him. He's fine. And also, conversely, there were crazy lefties, too. So, but now, because of our technology and because of the way we're set up, uh, and because I think, you know, enablers and the donor class and the media can use this to their own advantages, uh, you can stir these people up, and then all of a sudden, something bad is going to happen, whether it's January 6th, or the shooting at the Republican baseball team, or the poor kid here in Chicago, you can't just at that point say, um, well, you know, we're, we're actors, we're actresses, we're, we're, mm-hmm. this is fiction. And, you know, I mean, crazies were Dostoevsky and Crime and Punishment, right? I mean, there's, there's crazies that were prompted by that work of fiction centuries ago. But you, you can't just use that as an excuse. With a microphone comes some responsibility, and you, you better do it. And I, I don't know much about Alex Jones, but I, I love the parody on the Howard Stern show. I'll say that. Makes me laugh. Uh, I, um, I don't get serious, XM. What, can you tell me about the parody? <laughs> oh, it's just a very, very good bit. Very good parody of Alex Jones. Does he Jones pretend to be Alex Jones? No, no, it's not Stern. It's one of his, one of his uh, oh. contributors. It's, nice. it's, 
it's it's terrific and uh i hear that from time to time but that's and what i've seen in the news him in a courtroom uh but i'm not really a consumer of that and uh, so i i don't know much about him uh, speaking of um what you do consume are you on social media not very much uh because um you know i i i try to spend some time writing a few op-eds and submitting them uh but I, I don't know where to go for social media. I'm, I'm trying threads. I kind of repost things I find interesting. I'm trying to stay away from Twitter, to be honest with you. I still have a Facebook yeah, page. But, you know, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not doing very much right now. I'm, I'm lecturing to my three dogs every day, and we're <laughs> renovating this old house. It's an old stone and plaster house, and I'm glad that the, the phone connection is good in here. But, you know, it's a money pit, so every day there's something new. In other words, it's a house. Yeah, I, I told my uh, lovely wife, I said, next time we buy something that's going to be brand spanking news. No, I don't want to ever hear the word charming when it comes to real <laughs> estate ever, 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 ever again. Yeah, uh, I hear you. Hey, you said something, John, that I, I want to go back to. You were talking about the donor class. And recently, yeah. I've been talking about that. I've given up any hope that Republicans who are, who are in elected office will stand up and say what they really believe, you know, the kinds of things they say privately to other Republicans and sometimes to other reporters, but it's always private. It's always on the, on the down low. I've given up on them finding some kind of courage or spine. But, you know, my thought has been by all of the media accounts, uh, a lot of re- big-pocketed, deep-pocketed Republican donors are getting together to get behind this no-labels group, which I think is a disaster in the making. If the Republicans in office can't be courageous, why can't the Republican donors they, you know, say to somebody, yes, I still want my tax cuts, but I also don't want any more violent insurrections, and I want to get my money behind people who believe in facts and that Joe Biden is the free and fairly elected president at this time. I still want my tax cuts. I still want, you know, my business, whatever it is, to be deregulated. But I'm tired of the crazy. Maybe what the lawmakers can't seem to find the courage to do, the rich Republicans could make happen. And yet they don't seem to be able to find their courage either. I can't understand that. Well, billionaires didn't become billionaires, Joan, by throwing their money uh, after bad causes. You know, when they say uh, good money after bad, there's a, a couple guys who I'm familiar with, well, you're familiar with. I mean, I, I don't know them personally very well, but Ken Griffin gubernatorially went against, um, um, what's a downstate farmer? I forgot his name. I'm sorry. Uh, Darren so, Bailey? Yes. Randy, no. You know, he put his money into the Aurora mayor, a lot of money, $50 million, uh, Ron Gidwitz, who's a big Republican, deep-pocketed donor on the North Shore, he recently publicly uh, said he's going to back Chris Christie uh, because he is done with Donald Trump. He was Donald Trump's ambassador, right? He was the ambassador to the EU. But I think most of these guys are holding their fire you know, and keeping their checkbooks closed because they realize that even if they like Nikki Haley, even if they like uh, uh, Chris Christie and DeSantis, he seems to be a wilting flower. But um, you know, they, they don't, they don't, they're not staying rich by throwing good money after bad. I, I understand that. 
but if you're willing to write uh, in Ken in Ken's case, you know, he was an early supporter of DeSantis and then he sort of pulled back. Now he's um, talking like he's going to start opening up his checkbook for Nikki Haley. You know, the Koch brothers put together that um, super conservative, yeah. super rich people fund. Get, you know, those people can set the agenda. I mean, I can't believe that even um, the farthest right of the deep pocketed, uh, you know, the, maybe the, the Uline family. Do they really want democracy as we know it to be over? Because Donald Trump has laid out his plan. He's going to gut civil service. He's going to get rid of all the political appointees. He's going to go after his enemies. He wants the executive branch to be more powerful than the other two branches of government. I mean, is this really what they want? I mean, are they willing to sacrifice democracy to get another tax cut? Well, in the in the case of the U-Lines, I think they're true believers from what I've read and what I've heard and watching their donations. I think they're true, true uh, believers. The others that I mentioned, I think probably a little bit more pragmatic. Um, look, here's the thing, and this is what you and your audience have to keep in mind. You have 70 million people that voted twice for Donald Trump. 20 million of the 70 million are true believers. They're sycophants through and through. He's an orange god to about 20 million people. Walk out on Fifth Avenue, shoot anybody, they won't care, okay? So we've seen that over and over and over. When you go through his record, I mean, he has 91 counts against him, 26 sexual assault uh, allegations, six bankruptcies, what else? Uh, five draft deferments, four indictments, two impeachments. His company's been convicted. His fake Seven university Piper's shut piping. down. piping, yeah. I... yeah. I mean, it's on and on and on. You know, the, the 12 days of Trump here. So out of, the, out of the 70 million that voted for him, I think 50 million held their nose twice. The good news is here for America is 85 million people hate his guts. Here's what the Democrats have to do. You better get the younger people engaged and out there. And you better stuff the crazies in the closet so you don't scare away the other people that are willing to vote Democrat coming up next November. You know, so far, Trump has lost, Right. He lost 20, he lost 22. Most recent elections we saw, the Democrats did very, very well. The Republican message and the Republican essentially, you know, war on Christmas for lack of descript- you know, a better descriptor, the, the transgenders are coming to get us all and uh, uh, we've we got to keep uh, uh, this, that, and the other out of the schools and the, clean the books out of the library. That message doesn't resonate with most Americans. It doesn't. It, 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 it uh, roils their base which is great for primaries, which is great for fundraising, which is great for social media. But it doesn't win elections if the Democrats can turn out the younger people. I have uh, nine nieces and nephews, several of which, including my daughter and my son, are of uh, voting age. And it's tough to get them to even follow this because they're disgusted about it. They're on social media. They they have very very narrow views of what's going on. And you can't get them to vote early or get out and vote on the day. That's what the Democrats' biggest uh, hurdle is, is energizing not only their base, but the peripherals uh, that are more likely to vote Democrat than this version of what is a Republican mm-hmm. Party, which is no longer a Republican Party. It's a Trumpian party. So Democrats have a great opportunity here, but you've got to bring over the people that are center-right, keep your center-left, that's your base, marginalize your crazies, and write off the 20 million sycophants. Yeah. Um, that sounds like a, like a good plan to go forward on. Uh, John, taking a, a step back and looking at our business, I keep reading that 
The only thing that matters going forward into the future is uh, digital media, that radio and television are, if not dead, certainly dying. What do you think about that? By and large, I agree. I think uh, I think there was somebody, uh, uh, who's the guy that runs, um, they're called the Young Turks. I, 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 oh, I yeah. forgot his name. I'm sorry. He wrote a piece that I found at Barrett, Barrett Media today, Barrett Media, and uh, essentially talking about how he does everything based on YouTube. And sure, there's terrestrial stations that cover his show, and sure, he's on every platform. He named all the platforms he's on. And I think you have to basically start there at this point. I think that's uh, very, very important. And I've been a, a very late arrival to that, but I realize how important it is. And if and when I decide to get back into this game on kind of a daily basis, it'll probably start there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, speaking of Barrett Media, uh, Jim Avila, who used to be a local uh, Chicago yeah. reporter and then worked for yeah. years for the network, he retired and he started writing for Barrett Media. And then I just saw on social media last week, he posted, retirement is boring. I'm going back to work. So there's a, a television station, I think in San Diego, he's been yeah. uh, hired as their like chief investigative reporter. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, John, you're not going to want to do home repairs for the rest well, of your you know, time on clear, this planet. Just to, just to be clear, I'm not doing the home repairs. Oh. I'm just I'm just paying for the home repairs. Oh, I see. You're doing I the wish. point, fix this, fix this kind of home repair. I get well, it. I say, how do we fix this? How do we fix this? How much will it cost? Inevitably, it's going to cost three times as much. And I just, uh, I just basically say, well, uh, today we have the... Uh, I realized that my kitchen was at 75 degrees even when the heat was off. And it turns out, I'm like, something's wrong with the thermostat. It turns out, no, it's a bigger job. Something's wrong with the damper in the attic. So on and on it goes. I got a little sewer issue. I got a little deck issue. My my gutters are pitched the wrong way. Um, (laughs) We have uh, doors that don't close. We have locks that don't lock. Uh, It's interesting. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, it may be interesting, but um, I think that at some point you need an audience bigger than your three dogs, and yours is a voice that still has a lot to say, and I think a lot of people would be interested in hearing what you have to say, Mr. Howell. Well, the Humane Society has offered me a weekend job, but I have to, I have to pay for the hour, so I'm, I'm going to think about that. <laughs> Are your three dogs, dogs rescues? Really like what, the dogs seem to really like what I have to say. So I'm thinking about uh, going to Paws Chicago and maybe, uh, you know, bartering for an hour or two, and I'll, I'll do my show right on Clybourne Avenue Saturday afternoons. Well, I have found that um, dogs and cats are a very, very good audience, and sometimes a very, very vocal audience, but definitely, <laughs> you know, definitely love that. They never criticize they and it's it's a beautiful thing. They never say that you're not progressive, you're liberal. They just love me how I am. Uh-huh. Yeah, the labels are an issue, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, John, this has been wonderful. I would love to um, have a, another discussion with you sometime in the future if you get tired of uh, the home repair business. So, um, thank you for joining us today. Well, my pleasure. Nice catching up with you. Nice being on this frequency again. And uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And to you as well. We are going to take a break for news. We're going to be back with more after this.